0: I live for the moments when the game gets at a fever pitch and I can hear Tess standing up in the booth because I just imagine the look on your face because I've been in that exact same position that you've been in. So I know exactly what you feel. That's why I laugh every time I'm listening to you guys call games.
1: Hello and welcome to Always College Football. Today is Friday, November 4th. We are just one sleep away, as I tell my four-year-old. We're one sleep away from college football. We have so much to look forward to, not just tomorrow night, but also tonight. We have a couple good games here on the Friday slate, so things that we need to look forward to for sure. I'm Greg McElroy, alongside Mark Kubiak and Jack Foster. Appreciate so much you guys being with us today. We look forward to the weekend slate as much as you do. I can assure you with that. We bring on former LSU Tiger Booger McFarland. He's going to make the case as to why LSU can potentially pull off the upset. We're also going to dive deep into the Georgia-Tennessee matchup. Why I think Georgia has a slight advantage, even though Vegas thinks Georgia has a massive advantage, I'm kind of looking at it the other way. Also, a few other games of serious significance, including playoff contenders and potential bragging rights in one of the biggest rivalry games of the year. There's also one other game being played in the state of Texas right now. That isn't probably going to be talked about as much as it should be, but we're going to tell you why there's an awful lot to discuss when it comes to the state of Texas. All right, a lot, a lot that we need to get to, but let's kick things off with Booger McFarland, who goes on a Bayou Bengal rant. Happy to be joined now by the former LSU Tiger, but he played in an era when LSU never won games. So is he really an LSU Tiger? That's Booger (laughs) McFarland uh now of abc and espn bug what's up my friend
0: what's up g mac how we doing buddy
1: what was it like playing at lsu in the 90s seeing how good lsu's now become and just how terrible they were when you were in school
0: well i i'd like to think that i laid the foundation that 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 we could build this immaculate house that we have on now um But yeah, it's always fun, man. Uh, I mean, anytime your school wins and and is winning and has a winning program, it just makes college football that much more enjoyable. You know that. I agree
1: with that. But I don't really appreciate how many LSU guys work with us at ESPN between you (laughs) and Ryan Clark and Spears. Uh, It's a loud bunch. Uh, It's a very loud bunch. You guys aren't afraid to show your allegiance. Um, well, I don't know how y'all get away with it. By the way, like if I was wear- carrying around my Alabama pom poms, people would lose their mind. How is it well, that y'all are able to get away with that, especially in 2019?
0: Because I think what what fans realize is that first we're going to give analysis and we're not afraid to criticize. Um, people look at, and I'll just speak for myself when how uh, when the whole Les Miles deal went down, how I criticized Les, and so I think when fans see you criticize Les and even call for him to be fired they respect that you're not just a home. Now, deep down inside, everybody knows where you and I went to school. We know we're ultimately going to pull for our home team. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think fans just want to see you not always pull or not always say something that supports them. If you can be critical of your school, I think it goes a long ways to fans giving you just a little bit of leeway when LSU wins the national championship and we smoke cigars or we, you know, we wear purple on TV or whatever the case may be.
1: Yeah, well... I don't know. I, I don't know if I've ever heard Spears criticized, but I, I have heard you <laughs> criticize. So I, I think we're good on that. Uh, let's talk about this week's game. Bama LSU, I broke it down extensively a little earlier, but I, I look at this matchup, man, and if this game were played three or four weeks ago, I think Bama wins it convincingly. I just think LSU's improved so drastically in the last few weeks. But if they improved enough to the point now where they're ready to go up against a defense that's coming off maybe their best performance of the year. So you know how do you see this matchup?
0: Well, uh, obviously, LSU is, a, is an underdog. and They deserve to be that based on just the inconsistency of the quarterback play. I, I think Jaden Daniels is starting to, as you would tell me back in the day, rip it. He's starting to let it go a little bit. Um, and he's got to because the best part of LSU's team, G-Mac, is the wide receiver. And as a quarterback, you got to get the ball to those wide receivers. Now, with that being said, I think this game is ultimately going to be determined by how the LSU secondary plays. And it's probably the weakest part of the team. And it sounds crazy for a university that likes to moniker itself as DBU. But unfortunately, when COVID hit with some graduations some transfers, it's the weakest part of the team right now. And, you know, defensive coordinator Matt Howes does a really good job of trying to disguise that a little bit. Uh, but ultimately, you got to line up and, and you got to cover somebody. And if, if Ojalari and Harold Perkins and that defensive front can't get to Bryce Young, then ultimately I think that's going to – spell really really long plays for the lsu secondary what about
1: the the other game uh currently going on now in the southeastern conference tennessee and georgia uh tennessee feels like a juggernaut right i mean it does there's a lot of parallels to what tennessee's doing right now and what lsu did in 2019 i mean hot quarterback offense that feels unstoppable well, now is they're going to be going up against a championship program, championship pedigree at their place. Uh, and I would say this will be by far the, the most difficult test as far as the physical nature that Georgia's going to play with. So uh, do you think Tennessee is, is ultimately capable of weathering the storm and, and outscoring uh, the defending national champs?
0: Well, if Tennessee's capable of beating Alabama, they're capable of beating Georgia because it's, it's similar programs. When, it, when you talk about talent, uh, defensively, they're very similar. Uh, And I think Kirby has maybe taken the defense to a next step, which is what I can't wait to see. Because you know what uh, Nick is going to do defensively. It's going to be four over three, three over two, rip list coverage. Like, 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 you know what Nick Saban does from a defensive standpoint. And Josh Hype on an offense, they spread you so wide. Here's what I love about what Tennessee does. It's kind of the new age offense. They spread you 53 and a third. They put double stacks outside the numbers. And so you have to honor them because they do just enough of the smoke screens and pick it up and throw it out there where you have to put a couple of guys out there. But more importantly, it simplifies things for the quarterback because you can't hide what you're doing. You have to declare what you're going to do when you need to do it because of how wide, you, uh, wide you're spread out. And I think Hendon Hooker's done a really, really good job of being able to dissect it. Heupel gives gives him the information kind of on a platter and he's got to be able to decide... What he wants to do. Now, with all that being said, this game ultimately comes down to whether or not Tennessee can stop the run, because if you're Kirby, I I, I think I want to see if if this program that is uh, up and down the field, scoring points, 40, 50 points a game. Can you stand up to the physicality? And I think that's where Kirby ultimately goes back to, you know, five, 10 years ago when Nick ultimately every ball game, Nick did this. When Nick got in trouble, they turned around and ran tall sweep, a tall sweep or power roll. They wanted to challenge it and, and, and check your physicality out. And Kirby does the same thing. If you go back to the Missouri game when they were in trouble and Stetson wasn't playing well, they lined up in the second half and they ran the football against Missouri. And I think ultimately in this game against Tennessee, if Tennessee can prove, if Tennessee can prove they can stop that, then they'll have a chance to win and score some points. But if not, Kirby's going to play keep away. I think.
1: Yeah, it definitely seems that way. I mean, I I think it's going to be a war, right? I mean, if I'm Georgia, that's what I want it to be. Uh, I do think Tennessee is a lot more physical than I anticipated. Um, I also think based on how they've played against the run all year, you'd think it'd be easy to run against that team, but they're they're really not that easy to run at all. Right. I mean, they, they they can get after you a little bit, and their movement stuff can create some problems. That's for sure. So I do think that this will be a very tough test. For the Georgia Bulldogs, I lean in their direction, but I definitely think this will be the toughest challenge they face. Why do you lean in that
0: direction? I'm, I'm, I'm just curious because I, I know you watch a lot. Why do you lean Georgia? I just think they're
1: going to be more capable of dictating the terms. Plus, I think they have an internal presence in their pass rush. More so than anything that we've seen from Alabama, like Alabama has edge rushers, yeah, right. But I don't, I don't think their D tackles are great, frankly. Not that that's an important position; it's actually the very, very unimportant. In, yeah, in most screw cases. you, buddy. Probably, probably the weakest position. <laughs> uh, but I ultimately think that if the presence comes from inside, which with Georgia, that's that's where it's going to come from. Yeah. Then you got a real issue if you're Hendon Hooker. Because that guy from the A-gap or B-gap can get home a lot faster than the guy around the edge. Uh, And he's going to get the ball out. And I also think, too, I think that this is a better secondary uh, than what Alabama had at the time. Alabama now has made some adjustments in the secondary. Maybe they'll be better down the stretch. But I also think, too, when you're an offense like this, playing on the road is much more difficult. Um, And they haven't seen a nighttime environment like they're going, well, afternoon, nighttime environment like they're going to see here. They did see a 11 o'clock start at LSU. but. You and I both know uh, <laughs> Baton Rouge at 11 a.m. is a little bit sleepy. Uh, in yeah, it's some a little ways. different, so, yeah. A little different. So I, I do think that, the, that it's an uphill battle for Tennessee. I think they'll keep it close. Like, against the spread, I'd take Tennessee. But ultimately, I think Georgia, with their championship pedigree, just has a little bit more to be able to kind of neutralize the advantage that Tennessee would have on the edge.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Um, I just wonder – uh, in, in this day and age, and, and this is where I would lean toward you, I just wonder in this day and age of, of offensive football, how the offenses have just about every advantage, uh, how good Josh is, how good the receivers are, can they create enough space to where the, the talent mismatch that Georgia probably has defensively doesn't come into play as much? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think that there's a, that's a huge huge thing because this is a talent neutralizer style of attack right yeah like even if your offensive line maybe can't hold up at every position the tempo and the the looks and the numbers and the box counts and all that stuff is going to be neutralized because of the run game that they're ultimately going to try to kind of you know create and the numbers and the and i guess the conflict that they're going to create because if you can't stop the run with your front four uh, or front, you know, front six, if you right. will, if you want to count the two linebackers that'll stay inside as well, yeah. then you, you're going to have some issues. They'll run it on you. They've proven that. Um, but that takes away from the pass game. And if you can't stop the run, then boom, you have to bring another safety in, or a nickel's got to, to stay a little tighter. Next thing you know, they're going to wear you out on the now routes, uh, and then you start moving up because of the now routes. They throw it over your head, so it's a conflict defense that makes you make choices. But ultimately I think that George is going to be able to win in the trenches and they're not going to have to put extra guys in the box because I think they can stop the run with you know their four down linemen and the inside linebackers.
0: Yeah, I hear you on that one. Um I just want to watch it and 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 I think we'll know early on. We'll know in the first quarter how this game is going to go. I, I don't think this game is going to be a secret just because I think to your point, we'll know whether or not Tennessee can handle uh the trenches early on in the game.
1: Yeah. Oh, it won't take long to find a, and they're going to stick to it too. I think fatigue will be a factor anytime you're playing against Tennessee. Can you take it the distance for 60 minutes? Also something that will be needed to be taken into account. I want to get your feeling on a couple other things before we let you out of here. Uh, Your thoughts right now on what's going on at Texas A&M. We have not uh, had a chance to catch up on this. I have no idea where you stand, but if you were in charge at Texas A&M, how would you handle this situation?
0: Well, I, I think the biggest issue there, it's not talent because the talent is there. It's just young. So I think you got to be patient when it comes to the talent. My issue would be, okay, have I seen enough offensively to allow Jimbo to continue to call the plays? Or do I need to, as, as an AD, as the powers to be, tell Jimbo, hey, you've done a great job recruiting. Um, you pitch your style. But you gotta need to, like like you kind of need to bring an outside voice in to help with the offense because what, whatever you're doing offensively is not working. Like I'll give Jimbo a lot of credit. I told Jimbo five, four or five years ago that AM was not a physical football team. Like people used to line up and run for two or three hundred yards on them. Well, Jimbo's kind of corrected like that. They've become more physical defensively. They've got more talent. Like the receivers on the outside have been a disappointment, but I, I do think they have talent there. The issue is. They have zero creativity offensively and his ability to manage the football game, not just call plays, but to manage the football game is something that I would really have a serious conversation with him about because it's coming to question year in a year since he's been there. And the buyout is is so much that you can't fire him. So the best thing you can do is work with him and try to help him solve the issue because I don't even, even as much money as Texas A&M has, I don't think anybody's writing a check for 75 or $80 million and telling Jimbo to go. So he's going to be there. So you may as well work with him and try to solve some of the areas that he's deficient in rather than just kind of turning your back on him and saying, hey, you figure it out. Uh, and
1: I don't know how you can justify him still calling the place. Outside of someone telling him, hey, dude, you're not doing it anymore. I mean, I, you, th- you, I mean you know Jimbo, you've been around him. Do you really think he's going to come to that
0: conclusion on his own? He's not. And, and, and to me, that's the biggest issue, Greg. So what do you do? You're paying him all this money. You can't fire him. How do you make him give up the play call if you can't fire him? Like to me, that's the biggest conundrum AM and has right now. Like they're going to get talent because they have so much money and, and they're collective and the NIL, what they do. I get it. They are, they are collecting a ton of talent. They struggled at the quarterback position, which I'd love to get your opinion on. I don't know why you can get all these five-star guys, but you can't develop them. Max Johnson is not the greatest, but Max Johnson was a far better quarterback at LSU than he was at a even in a limited amount of time. So I don't know what you do, A, to make him do it, and B, why can't Jimbo develop a quarterback?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that he can. I mean, it's been proven. Shoot, Kellen Mond was a second-round pick. You know, I mean, it's been proven that he can develop a quarterback. I just think that he attached himself to Haynes King, and that was a bit of a blind spot for him. I'm not sure why. Uh, I don't know anyone that's watched Haynes King and looked at Haynes King and said, Oh dude, that guy's a, he's a dude. Like I, I've, I've called a couple of their spring games and I never felt that way. I remember actually watching Zach Calzada come in and carve up a defense and Haynes King was hitting like 45% completion percentage in spring game. So <laughs> for whatever reason, he kind of attached himself to Haynes King. And I don't know if he just couldn't really look beyond him, but he invested a ton of reps into him and, uh it hasn't worked out for him so I, I i think that his track record though if you really look at everything his track record dating even back to his time and you can't look here's my issue people want to say well christian ponder wasn't successful in the nfl ej Manuel wasn't successful in the nfl you know Jameis winston has as bouts of inconsistency in the nfl kellen mond is already out of the league like is that jimbo's fault like because last i checked he he got them to the point in which they were being taken in the first two rounds, whether they should have been or shouldn't have been, he still got them to that point. So is that a reflection on his inability to get guys ready for the next level? Because I don't know. I think he's had some pretty successful college quarterbacks.
0: I'd agree with you. He's gotten them to the next level. Uh, I'd also agree with you that um, his ability to identify talent has been really good because those guys don't go to the NFL if they don't have talent. My biggest issue is, is this, Greg, is that Jimbo almost wants the quarterbacks to play like robots. Like, if you watch the quarterbacks play, they all kind of, not that they're built the same, but they kind of look the same. They all are very hesitant. That they, Nobody's very decisive. Uh, he doesn't really like the mobile quarterback because he wants you to run his offense and call plays in more of a pro-style system. So is he going to deviate and try to come up with a different way to play that position? Because you know as well as I know, even Bryce Young this year, Bryce Young's running the football more this year. You have to be able to move athletically as a quarterback in this day and age. Even if you're not a runner, you still need to be able to pick up third and seven, third and ten, uh, first and ten, make you know, make it second and two or whatever. Like You have to be able to do that. And it almost seems as if Jimbo tells his quarterback, yeah, I don't want you to do that. And I think that's a problem in 2022 where every quarterback you're getting from high school has athletic ability, the best athletes are playing the position and you're trying to limit their ability to to do what they've done since they put a ball in their hands.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that he's wanted to try to get more mobile with Kellen Mond and with Haynes King. Like Those guys are more mobile, but uh, I do think when you take a mobile guy and you put them into his offensive style, it does kind of take away their mobility and takes away in some ways their best attribute. So uh, definitely good observations, I think, on you. I can't get you out of here before I get a pick from you on the Alabama-LSU game. Uh, how much does Alabama win by, and why?
0: <laughs> well, again, uh, I'm not being an analyst here. I'm going to be a homer. I think LSU okay, pulls, here we go. I think LSU pulls the upset, 27-24. That's my homer pick. If if, if, if you were giving me, if, if we were on ESPN and, and and I were on game day picking this, I would, as bad as I hate to say it, I would I would probably lean toward Bama, um, probably by 10 man, just because I think that. Although Brian Kelly's done a tremendous job, you gotta remember, Greg, less than, less than a year ago, LSU had 39 scholarship players playing K-State. They had a wide receiver playing quarterback. So for Brian Kelly to get that team to where they are now, which is fringe right on the, you know, right on the edge of being a top 10 team, um, man, like that's a long, that's a long journey to go from there to saying that you're gonna take on uh big bad Bam and all their consistency. So I'm a realist. Uh, I hope Jaden Daniels has the game of his life. Our secondary has to play a lot better than they played so far. But you know what? BK is a really, really good coach. I like where we're going. Um, and like you, I will be tuned in.
1: I think it's going to be a good game. Uh, I really do. I, I think it's going to be close. Um, and I'd be surprised. I really would. I'd be surprised if this game got sideways. I just have will too you? much faith, too much respect for that coaching staff at LSU has.
0: Yeah, that's the one thing I am proud of. And this is to take nothing away from Coach Ogeron because he won a national championship. But I think our level of coaches now that we have there, offensively, defensively. Even though I'm Den Brock, he and I don't always see eye to eye. I think what Matt House is doing defensively, uh, some of the some of the young guys, what they're doing, how innovative they're trying to be. Remember, it was only about what eight years ago LSU was running tall sweep like the first ten plays of the game. So to see where we are now, <laughs> <laughs> this coaching staff has really done a lot of work. Where do you uh, where are you at this weekend? Who you? Uh, what game you calling?
1: Oh, it's America's game, uh, FSU Miami, down in your neck of the woods, down in Florida.
0: Friends and family game, as Mac Brown would say, only friends and family are watching.
1: <laughs> First of all, there's going to be a lot of people watching. Don't be a hater, <laughs> all right? Just because we're going up against LSU Bama, just because we're going up against Notre Dame Clemson, doesn't mean there's not going to be a bunch of people there in the Sunshine State watching, all right? I think Ron DeSantis will be watching. That might be it, but he will be watching. I know there's going to be a lot of
0: people I'll be watching because you guys, I think, are on ABC. And so I live for the moments when the game gets at a fever pitch and I can hear Tess standing up in the booth because I just imagine the look on your face because I've been in that exact same position that you've been in. So I know exactly what you feel. That's why I laugh every time I'm listening to you guys call games.
1: Oh, In particular, when a big play happens in special teams, yes. There are occasions (laughs) when I feel like it needs to be strapped in. Uh, Because he could (laughs) jump out of the booth. It could happen. No doubt about it, man.
0: Oh, I love it, it, man. I love
1: it. I appreciate you, brother. Best of luck to your Bayou Bengals this weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Anytime. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. Starting your own small business can be a total roller coaster. Between all those bumpy twists and turns comes the actual business side of your business, which can really throw you for a loop. Luckily, with QuickBooks, you can manage your business with confidence from the start. So no matter how bumpy the ride gets, you can always stay on track. New business, no problem. Success starts with Intuit QuickBooks. Learn more at QuickBooks.com. All right, great visit with Boog there as he tried to shed some light on what was going on at Texas A&M and then gave great perspective on the rivalry between LSU, Alabama, and of course, what's going to happen between the hedges this weekend when Tennessee travels just a little bit to the Southeast to take on the Georgia Bulldogs. But there's a lot of other games this weekend that we are paying very close attention to, including some that are probably not going to get talked about because they don't have a huge impact on the college football playoff, but they matter to us. They matter to us, all right? It's still real to me, right? You've seen the gif. You've seen the meme. So let's not waste any more time. Coops, what do you got?
2: All right, well, this first one does matter to the playoff, and it's about TCU. Well, they step up this weekend to try to prove a point?
1: What's funny is going into this week and going into – Really, Tuesday night's rankings release show. I I thought this was kind of a dangerous game for TCU. They're sitting there, they're a heavy favorite, they're a comfortable favorite. Everyone's kind of telling you how great you are. Everyone's kind of telling you, man, you guys are awesome. You're scoring so many points. You've had, you know, 32 consecutive games. You've won as a ranked in the AP top 10 against unranked teams. Like, you're in great shape this weekend against Texas Tech. And Texas Tech's a dangerous team, I might add. Now, I think Texas Tech's a lot more dangerous at home than they are on the road. But ultimately, Texas Tech is not really a team that you want to take lightly. TCU is in a position now, after Tuesday's rank and release show, where they not just have to win, but they might need some style points as well. And I told you, I look, I don't think TCU's in jeopardy of missing the playoff if they run the table. They're not. Like I think a one-loss runner-up in the SEC would be left out in favor of an undefeated TCU. I think an undefeated TCU would also be ahead of a one-loss runner-up in the Big Ten East, uh, Big SEC East as well. So if, say, Tennessee or, or Georgia loses this weekend and then you know the winner loses to Bama, like, the SEC champ will get in and then the other two SEC teams that don't win will be left out in favor of an undefeated TCU. I can strongly guarantee that. And we drew the parallels and the historical elements earlier in the week. And if you missed it, you can check out some of our previous shows like TCU will get in if they win out. But ultimately, you, you got to be a little bit frustrated with where you're at right now. And I, I know it's easy to say, hey, you know, yeah, just take care of business. Focus on you. Focus on the game. Well, how can you not be slighted if you're TCU? I mean, you sit behind a team that has one loss. You sit behind a you sit three spots behind a Clemson team that's resume isn't as good as yours. So why I mean, why are you seven? So the fact that I think you can now light a legitimate fire under TCU only makes me feel better about the matchups this weekend. We know that Max Duggan has emerged as a as a Heisman Trophy contender, but he's still not getting the love he deserved. Do you realize he's thirty to one right now to win the Heisman Trophy? I mean, thirty to one. Look, I know that Hendon Hooker and C.J. Stroud and those guys will be tough to beat. Blake Corum, even at Michigan, those guys will be tough to beat. I get that, but the fact that you know Max Duggan is the starting quarterback on a quarterback-driven offense that scores a lot of points on a playoff contender, and yet he's still thirty to one, is mind-blowing to me. So is he, and he's also played in some fairly significant contests with a lot of eyeballs. So I hope people are paying attention to him because he should probably have a chip on his shoulder given just how far back of the pack he is right now, I expect TCU to win this game comfortably. I I think they're going to come out and they're going to prove everyone wrong. Say, hey, look, I know we're number seven right now, but we'll play anybody, anywhere, anytime. And yes, I think that they need to get off to a better start in the first half. (laughs) These comebacks are for the birds. Like start fast, finish strong, and give me a 60-minute effort and make it complete. Because I haven't seen a complete dominant effort from them since the Oklahoma game. I want them to give it to me this weekend because this is an overmatched opponent that they should handle relatively easily.
2: All right. Moving on out West. Will any of the ranked Pac-12 teams get upset this weekend? Well, let's look at some of the
1: matchups for the Pac-12 teams. Okay. Starting with the matchup tonight. Now is Oregon state in a position to, <laughs> you know, win a, a game against, you know, one of the, Ohio State, no. But remember, Oregon State had the ball on their racket with the opportunity of potentially knocking off USC just a couple weeks ago. And this is a run-heavy team. They can really get after you. They can really control the line of scrimmage. They've had a couple issues as far as health is concerned. Oregon State's dealt with losing their quarterback and missing some time in that setting. But if you look at what they've done, man, Oregon State is a handful I mean, Jonathan Smith deserves incredible credit, incredible credit for what he's done the last couple of years in revitalizing his alma mater. They do a really good job of making it simple on the quarterback. They do a really good job of making it simple on the offense as a whole. They're simple in in structure, they're simple in design and it's very easy on the offense, but it's very difficult to defend. So I have really enjoyed watching this Oregon State football team. They have been a team that we've followed from the very beginning. And one that I'm very optimistic about. They have allowed 10 or fewer points in back-to-back games. The last time they did it in three consecutive games was back in 1969. That's you know the third longest streak in the last 75 years. They are doing a great job of running the football, like I alluded to. 150 rushing yards in all eight games this season. That's their longest streak since 2004. And... They're one of four FBS teams with 150 rushing yards in each of their first eight games. You want to know the other four? The other three, I guess, since they're the fourth? Michigan, Arkansas, and Air Force. So they have done a really good job of creating an identity along the line of scrimmage. I like their chances on the road. They're an underdog tonight, but I like their chances on the road against Washington. It won't be easy. I can assure you it will not be easy, but I think they get it done. Moving on to the next... Pac-12 team ranked in the top 25, and that would be Utah. You look at Utah, and Utah is kind of forgotten about, right? For being a top 15 team sitting there currently at number 14, no one's really talking about them. And look what they have remaining on the schedule. I mean, they could definitely be the fly in the ointment. They should be a heavy favorite this weekend against Arizona, heavy favorite against Stanford next week. They will be an underdog on the road at Oregon, but... How many times have we seen this Utah team get Oregon and take them to the woodshed? Did it twice last year. have seen them, you know, get beat by Oregon too. When a playoff berth was on the line a handful of years ago, and then they'll finish up their regular season by going on the road to Colorado. You look back at it. I mean, it's a real possibility that this Utah team finishes nine and three, 10 and two. And we're all going to remember that week one performance against Florida when they had, Every opportunity to get it done, and they just couldn't on the road. A couple of red zone turnovers, one turnover on downs, and one interception in the red zone. So I think Utah is in prime position to get a win this week as well. Not sure that should surprise anybody. I'm not the biggest fan of Arizona. And then the three teams that most people are talking about, UCLA, who sits at number 12, Oregon, who sits at number 8, and then USC, who sits at number 9. I don't think USC is in trouble. They should get it done. When playing against Cal. Cal's good on defense. I think Cal could potentially keep it within the number. Cal's been a great double-digit dog for quite a while. And I believe, I'm not sure exactly where it's at right now, but hovering around two touchdowns, maybe just south of two touchdowns. But I think SC is just too much for Cal. I'm not sold on what Cal's done right now. Actually, it's three touchdowns. Excuse me. 22 points Therefore, USC. When playing against the Golden Bears, I do think, like I said, I think Cal could keep it within the number, but man, I'm not sold on what Cal has offensively whatsoever. Very uninspired by what I've seen from the Golden Bears. UCLA is one of those teams that they always kind of, they always kind of feel like they're disrespected. Like I feel like in this case this week, they are getting a little bit of disrespect. Yeah, they're a heavy favorite, double-digit favorite on the road at Arizona State. And Arizona State's been a little bit inconsistent this year. But man, how are they going to stop UCLA? I just don't see it, man. I think they're going to be able to score it. Will UCLA will? And I just have a difficult time thinking that that game's going to be super competitive. I, I don't see it at all. And then finally, if you look at what Oregon has planned against Colorado, I mean, do we really need to go into depth on that one? I mean, they're, they're favored by 30-plus points. So I think that all the ranked teams in the Pac-12 will run the table this week, the closest one being the Oregon State Beavers who go on the road to Washington. But I ultimately think Oregon State gets the upset of the Huskies there because it could be a weather game. I like the team that's going to run the football and try to establish the line of scrimmage.
2: All right, moving on. Can a struggling Miami team find an offense – and salvage a season this weekend against Florida State. Well,
1: it's a I'm on the call, very I've called a couple of these. This is a great rivalry. I know, look, right now a lot of our attention as college football fans are on the hypotheticals as it relates to the playoff. Well, how can this team get in? Well, does North Carolina have a chance, right? Like, like we're all doing that. I mean, it's not just satisfying. you know. It's not that satisfying right now as a college football fan to not be in the playoff hunt. But, man, rivalry games. And if you look at the numbers, like for us, like we do at ESPN, we have all types of analytical data and polls and, you know, focus groups. I mean, you can imagine the amount of interaction we have, you know, at the Walt Disney Company and at ESPN with our audience i mean the interactions immense and the focus groups and the data-driven stuff is immense you know what by far is the most important thing by far the most important thing to college football fans rivalries it's crazy right like you'd think playoff you would think championships no the most important thing to college football fans is rivalries and no matter how you feel about this game and the importance of this game right now as it relates to the college football playoff because it has no relation to the college football playoff. Miami's obviously not going to make it. Florida State's not going to make it. Who cares? This game matters. It matters. And I love it. My mom went to Florida State. I grew up with this rivalry. I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal game. And there is no love lost between the two programs. Let's break it down, okay? Florida State's coming off of what was one of their best offensive performances of the Mike Norvell era went for nearly 650. You look at Jordan Travis who's really come into his own this year quietly, right? Like maybe not as many people paying attention because they haven't been front line billing on a you know given week, but man, Jordan Travis might have played his best game in a seminal uniform last week against Georgia Tech, anticipating throws, pushing it down the field, being accurate on low percentage throws. Didn't run the ball as much at all, really. I mean, I barely ran the ball relative to what he's done in the past. So I love how he's progressing. The offensive line continues to improve. The wide receivers have been as among the most improved groups in college football, from where they were last year to where they are this year. And then the running backs are phenomenal for Florida State. And hopefully Trey Ward, their outstanding lead back, or at least he was the lead back coming into the season, hopefully he can get healthy and return at some point here down the stretch but they're going to be going up against a defense in Miami that is outstanding. Look, out in the, Miami's offense struggle bus, right? I mean major struggle bus. Can Van Dyke play? If he can't, will it be Garcia? Will they go with, you know, will they go with the freshman and and maybe think about going uh with Jacquery Brown because he's a real run threat, not much of a thrower, but a real run threat. There's all sorts of questions surrounding the quarterback situation. So the way that Miami can get the win in this game is going to be by forcing a turnover or two and just completely clamping down on the defensive side. The good news is they have some complete game changers on that side of the ball. Leonard Taylor should be a household name. The guy is phenomenal. Completely took over the game last week against Virginia. And they needed him too. I mean, he had a couple sacks, a couple pressures, walking offensive linemen back into the backfield and forcing negative plays. He's awesome. He's going to have to be huge in this game. And the rest of the defense and their structure and Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator, has been everywhere. He's been at Clemson. He's been at Bama. been at Auburn. Now he's at Miami. He does a really good job. That group's going to have to play really well because this is a very, very significant challenge is Florida State. The one thing I would say, though, Florida State has been pretty humid at times. They have been very humid at times. See the NC State second half uh, and just some of the inconsistencies that this group has shown at times throughout the year. So I think Florida State has really grown. But I'll tell you this you talk to anyone associated with Miami's program, talk to anyone that's a fan of Miami, they would punt on the last three games if it meant they could beat the Knolls. This is going to be their Super Bowl. There is no denying that. And if they can somehow pull it off, it would be by far the biggest win of the Mario Cristobal era so far and would go a long way towards creating goodwill and positivity surrounding his first season at the helm in Coral Gables.
2: All right, staying in the ACC, kind of. Well, Clemson put together a complete game on the road at Notre Dame where the winds will be swirling.
1: (laughs) I'll say this, and and I'm I'm fortunate to, to have good perspective on this game, having called Syracuse and Notre Dame just last week, right? I mean, I was able to study all week long, Syracuse's performance against Clemson. And then I was also able to call Syracuse's performance against Notre Dame and in turn studying Notre Dame while at the same time studying Clemson in preparation for Syracuse. So I feel like I have a pretty good beat on where this game is and how these teams match up. If you were to take the jerseys off of Notre Dame and Clemson, you would be shocked at how similar they are. I think they're the same team. I mean, almost the exact same team. Now, Clemson has a little bit more talent. They have a little bit better front seven personnel. But I would say that Notre Dame, in some ways, uh, their personnel is probably a little better than you might suggest. Just think about what they did. I mean, all you got to do is go back and, and look back to week one. Who has played Ohio State better? Like, and when they were challenged and when they had to have it, who played Ohio state better defensively, nobody, I mean, Notre Dame had by far the best performance of the year against Ohio state. So I think that this defense is really capable of special things. Now I do think there are times when they have lapses, they have a freshman corner, they have some young guys that are contributing that make mistakes. And those were on full display last week and have been on display several different times this year. But when Notre Dame's at their best, I think they can be very similar to the Clemson Tigers. I mean, you have an elite edge presence. Isaiah Foskey, an elite edge presence. Well, guess what? Clemson has elite edge presence. Inside, the defensive tackles, very, very solid, very underappreciated, very disruptive, okay? Second-level defenders, keenly aware, very, very good have a great understanding. I would say that Clemson's slightly more athletic at that position, but I would say the awareness that you see on display at Notre Dame, maybe even slightly higher. Bertrand, for instance, Kaiser, both do an amazing job at the second level and understanding they don't fall for screens. They don't take bad steps. Like They do the right things at the second level, so there's not a whole lot of issues that they're going to deal with. In the back end, I think Clemson is a little bit susceptible. Remember, we came into the season wondering, all right, where, where is Clemson? You know, where's their weakness on this defense? Well, I think the weakness is a corner still. I know people will say, no way. What do you mean? They've grown. They're getting better. No, I don't know. I still think they're a little gettable there. Now, here's the problem I don't think Notre Dame has great weapons on the perimeter. I think they have an elite tight end, but I think their wide receivers are remarkably inconsistent. Guess what? Clemson, very inconsistent at wide receiver. Talent, like there's talent on that team, but they're inconsistent. If anything, who's been Clemson's most reliable weapons this year at some times? The tight ends. Well, how about this question? Tell me who you trust more, Drew Pine or DJ Now You're probably asking, well, hang on a second. Well, DJ, obviously. Yeah, I do too. I trust DJ too. But DJ's coming off of his worst performance. And there's one thing we know about DJ is that he had a bad performance week one last year and never snapped out of it. So if he had a bad performance a couple weeks ago, how do we know he's going to snap out of it here moving forward? Because last year, good example, didn't bounce back from adversity. It kind of hovered over to him all season long. And as a result, he played poorly. Well, Drew Pine, I don't trust him. I mean, if he drops back and throws it more than 20 times in the game, I do not trust him. So I think this game comes down to good against good. Can Notre Dame run the football? I think Notre Dame's best attribute are their three talented running backs and their tight ends. Guess what Clemson's best attribute is? Their talented running back, Will Shipley, and their tight ends, which are deep and long and difficult to defend. I think these teams are so eerily similar, it's unbelievable. Now, Clemson has more talent which is why I'm going to take them in the game. I think they get the win, but I think it's going to be ugly. And I expect Notre Dame to bring a lunch pail. And I expect Notre Dame to bring some brass knuckles because it's going to need... Well, maybe we'll go gold, maybe 24-karat gold knuckles. Maybe that'll work, you know, to match the helmets. I think they're going to need to make this game as physical as humanly possible because if it turns into a game like that, I think the more physical it is, the better chance they have. They have to junk it up like they did against Notre Dame. Against Ohio State, excuse me. And if they can junk it up enough, I think they have a real chance. But they might need to force a turnover or two to ultimately get the win.
2: All right, and last one here. Will Texas show that they earned that ranking by winning on the road at Kansas State? I'm
1: amazed at how many people like Texas in this game. Now, don't get me wrong. like I look at Texas and have called games involving the Longhorns this year. Very impressed with their personnel. think they do a really good job, both offensively and defensively, but they've been inconsistent. I mean, they've been really, really inconsistent. There's some weeks where they look unstoppable offensively, and they, sometimes they look like their defense is completely impenetrable. And then there's other games. It's like, yeah, you know, I don't know. Tech's kind of gettable, man. <laughs> like Oklahoma State second half. Good example, man. D- just completely shut it down. In a way, like they they just couldn't really put it all together. Uh, so I look at this game, man, and I I like Kansas State. I mean, I you're telling me I get Chris Kleiman. I don't care who the quarterback is. Maybe they're expecting you know a a reversion to the mean, where Will Howard, if Adrian Martinez can't go, Will Howard comes back to earth. Right? We've seen that before, right? Backup quarterback goes in, balls out of control for a couple weeks, and the next thing you know his true colors show, and he's just a guy, right? He's solid. He's a backup for a reason, right? He's just a guy. So maybe that's possible. And I don't anticipate this thing being 48-nothing. But those that are so convinced that Texas is going to go up to the Little Apple and take care of business, man, I don't see it that way. Like, I lean in favor of the Kansas State Wildcats. I think Kansas State, up front, defensively, really good. I think they're nose guard. I think they're edge defenders. I think they're really good up front. I think at the second level, pretty good, not bad, sound, well-coached, physical. I think in the back end, a little gettable. That's what would keep me up at night if I'm Kansas State is the susceptibility, if that's a word, susceptible, susceptibility. If it's not a word, I don't care. Put it in the dictionary. It works. Right, The susceptibility of their back end to potential big plays, especially off play action. If, if they can't stop the run with their front seven, they got to put an extra hat in the box. Can they match up in one-on-one with double moves and big plays down the field against Whittington and against Worthy? Because if they can't, it's going to be tricky. And then you got to think about this too. JT Sanders at tight end, he is a handful, man. I mean, he has a matchup nightmare for the Longhorns. So can they get him going a little bit and get him involved off play action as well? Conversely, what does Texas do to stop the dynamic duo if Adrian Martinez is available to stop him and Deuce falling together? It's going to be a real task. So I think this game's going to be pretty high scoring. I think these teams are both going to be pretty good and be able to move the ball with some consistency. I think it's going to be pretty high scoring, but I lean towards the Wildcats at home, man. And I must be taking crazy pills because everyone and their brother is on the Longhorns. So I'm going to fade the public. I'm going to take the Wildcats and think that they protect the home field.
2: Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets pizza. Better because it has to be.
1: Hey, thanks for being with us. What a great week of college football and what an unbelievably great weekend we have sitting right in front of us. I know you're as excited as we are. How could you not be? Look at all the games that we have to look forward to, including the night's matchup between Washington and Oregon State. I, I'm going to be up till... One in the morning watching, but I welcome that. (laughs) Because how many more do we have, y'all? Count them up. We have one, two, three, four. Four more regular season weekends of the college football season. The 5th, the 12th, the 19th, and the 26th. Four more, y'all. I mean, we are through this thing. So soak up every possible second. That includes the midweek Mac action. All right? Soak it up. Enjoy it. Live it. Love it. Sacrifice the sleep if you have to because it's worth it. All right? It is worth it. Four more, y'all. Do not let one second go by without soaking it all in. And who cares if the games aren't involving playoff teams, man? It doesn't matter. Like, you think, I mean, people are like, oh, it's playoff, playoff. The playoff's awesome. Like, I love the playoff. It's great. It's, I'm glad we have it. All right? It's fine. But there is so much more on the line in so many other games throughout the course of the weekend. Like, okay, what are the odds that, you know, for instance, I mean, what are the odds that Tulane makes the playoff? Right? Like, I mean, it would be an almost impossible task. Like there would have to be, everyone would have to lose every game and there'd have to be a three loss Pac-12 champion. Like they'd be, put it this way. It would require the stars aligning here in the final four weeks of the regular season for Tulane to have an outside shot of potentially getting to that spot. By the way, I like Tulsa plus the seven and a half. All right. But anyways, okay, it'd be almost impossible if you tell me those games don't matter. No, conference championships matter. Conference divisions matter. Division championships matters. And then more than anything else, I'm looking at you, Florida State and Miami. Rivalries matter. Because you have to live with the outcome of the result. For the next 365 days, rivalries matter. And guess what? We still have a whole bunch of those coming up here in the next four weeks. Thanks for being with us today. Please like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get the show, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or if you're here with us via the ESPN YouTube channel, please hit that thumbs up button right beneath the video and subscribe wherever it is you're getting the content. For Mark Kubiak and Jack Foster, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey, guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.